1: What does motion sound like? With Kizikans Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion.
0: Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizikcom socks. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little
2: or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the
1: I'm Jason Kander, and I'm Robbie Gupta, and this is Majority 54, the podcast for meaningful conversations that change minds, change votes, and win elections. In a few minutes, you'll hear our conversation with Wes Moore, who is the Democratic candidate for governor in Maryland, which is a great conversation. He's a, a fantastic guy, but before we get there, Robbie, how you doing?
2: You know, it's it's a weird month, August in New York City, where people just leave, so it's, it's really quiet. I kind of like it, but... It's startling given that for the past few years, nobody left, and now it seems everybody's gone. Uh, And so all my friends and family and everybody around here is gone, but now all these tourists are here for the first time in years. (laughs) And so it's kind of cool. You know, you walk outside, we're in Little Italy here, you run into people from all different countries, and it's cool to to see the city back on its feet, but it's jarring.
1: What would you say are like, because, you know, I go to New York for work a fair amount, and I can't fight that instinct as, you know, proud as I am to be from Kansas city. You can't fight that instinct of like not wanting to look like you're not from a place. So <laughs> other than like the, you know, like the people with the big, I love New York t-shirts that they clearly just bought or like whatever, like what are the biggest tells of like, oh, this person is oh, it's easy.
2: Yeah. Just how you walk down the sidewalk, like yeah. certain people, you know, it's just like you, you stop, you get slow, you know, people the way they they get on the subway and get off the subway train, for example. like A New Yorker knows that in a busy subway train, even if it's not your stop, you get off so you can let everybody out so that you can Uh. get back on. But somebody who doesn't know the city, Will kind of stand there and block people because they're worried they might not be able to get back on yeah, the train or whatever. Idea. Yeah, if so I, it's like if a rhythm I had thing. The courage
1: to try the subway—that's what I remember.
2: <laughs> but it's mostly like a rhythm thing. The neighborhood I live in, and and also where my office is, is like the busiest area for tourists outside of like Times Square. So you just learn to love them. You know, they're good for for the area. They're generally very you know nice. And mm-hmm. I always think about the fact that most of these tourists come here, they can speak English. Whereas I go to their countries, I can't speak any of their languages. And they're usually really nice to me when I go to their countries, even though I can't speak any other languages. So the least I can do is be polite. So
1: I absolutely clog the sidewalk when I'm in New York. Like, <laughs> like I can be there for work and I can be going to a business meeting. And I just, my pace that I walk, hell, <laughs> the pace that I speak is just not, it's, it's just very Kansas City, I guess. Well,
2: it's why this podcast works. You're kind yeah. of the, the baritone who kind of you know keep keeps the 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 pace manageable for the audience, and I just speak super fast Ben Shapiro style. <laughs> somehow it it creates music. Geez.
1: It does. It creates beautiful music. <laughs> All right. Well, with that said, let's talk some trash. Uh, tee up this hilarious thing that happened this week.
2: I mean, I can't even believe the story. So we're recording this on Tuesday. So we do, not, we do not yet know the results of the Missouri Republican primary, but safe to say one of two Erics will win the primary for a GOP Senate. And the two candidates, we have a lot of Missouri listeners, but for those who aren't paying close attention to this, former Governor Eric Greitens, and then uh, Attorney General or State Attorney General Eric Schmidt are the two front runners for the GOP nomination, it looks like Schmidt is leading in the polls, but by the time you listen to this, you'll know mm-hmm. the, who won. But a lot of people thought Eric Greitens, just because of his, you know, his personal history and scandals and his just unabashed uh, embrace of Trump and shamelessness, uh, was going to get the Trump nomination. Trump sends out a press release last night, so this is Monday night, saying he endorses ERIC, in all caps for the nomination. Now, that both just to remind you, both of these candidates are named Eric. Now, at first I texted you this thing and, "All right, mistake. Wow, what an epic mistake by Trump. This is like in the pantheon of Trump mistakes." But Politico released an article I think pretty persuasively demonstrating that this was intentional. Trump didn't didn't want to pick. And I think that's pretty much confirmed given that we're recording this a full day later almost and he still hasn't walked it back. So I don't even know what to make of this, Jason. What is your take here?
1: I took this as with like about 12 hours to go before polls opened in Missouri, Donald Trump weighed in to let us know that his preference was that we talk about him. These guys spent the last year preening. And making every trip they could to Mar-a-Lago and kissing his ass like it was made of cheese. I mean, like I don't know, I was so bad at analogies. I'm now like I have yeah. the greatest hits of made-up analogies. Yeah, like nobody cheese. kisses cheese. But whatever, we're gonna stick with it. Like yeah. it was I, like I don't know. But anyway, for him to just <laughs> completely punt at the end is hilarious. I mean, at the dinner table in our house, we don't talk about politics much at all like like it's just you know true's eight like he's just it's not interesting to him but last night i told him about this and he thought it was so funny like i explained i had to explain what an endorsement was i had to explain all this stuff and i had to explain how like these two guys worked really hard and then trump endorsed eric and he, and true's like which eric and i'm like just eric nobody and he was like he thought that was the funniest thing and. Uh, and it is hilarious, not because like, oh, Trump's such a funny guy. It's hilarious because these guys deserved it.
2: Yeah, I'm kind of with true that this is funny. Now, to be clear, if you're you know long time listener to this podcast, I don't like Donald Trump. Uh, yeah. I, hey, we're not saying, oh, we're a hilarious guy. I, or, I also think that who the senator is from Missouri is really important. With that said... This is really funny, and I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with the fact that this is funny. Like I, I was talking to people in the office today. I'm like, look, like, like if, if if this were just on a TV show and this weren't real life, this would be a really funny gag, like a Veep or something. Oh, it's like, and, yeah, it's it's straight out of Veep. Yeah, and so this is a thing of a Trump we've talked about, and our audience hates this sometimes when we say this. He can be funny. Sometimes he's a horrible person, but this is really like, and I don't have any affection for the two people who are the victims of his humor here. So it's weird. I have a mixed feelings about laughing at this, but well, that's why it's funny
1: It's because yeah. you have no effect because all of Trump's humor is cruel. It is always at the expense of someone else. Right. And so when we find Trump funny, it is when he is being cruel to someone we don't like. And in this case, he's being cruel to two people that we don't like. It's weird for me because it's two people that I know quite well um, who I used to like, (laughs) and now I don't, but that's like, that's the common story anymore with these folks. But um, so what also to add to the humor, since this is the talking trash segment, what happened afterwards is exactly what you would have expected, which is they both had to figure out what to do with it. So of course, They both did what you would expect, which is they both hurriedly put out emails and texts and social media graphics that say Donald Trump endorsed me. Didn't mention the other guy, of course. And, uh, you know, because what else do you do? There's
2: nothing else you can do. Excuse my language here, but Trump is a huge dick. He called these two guys up each, according to Politico, called each of them up told each of them he was giving them an endorsement and apparently didn't mention the fact that he was endorsing both of them. I mean, like, this is the thing about being like, this is true of Josh Holly, This is true of the two Erics. You know, this is true of anybody in his circle is that you lose your dignity in the process. this This is the ultimate version of that.
1: You have to turn in your dignity if you want to be in the circle. And that's what he's doing here, right? Is he's like, I'm going to do this and you're going to say, thank you. You are going to, I'm I'm going to, I'm going to, well, here's another bad analogy. I'm going to put this shit in a bowl and you're going to eat it and thank me for it. Right? Like, I don't know if that's an analogy or a metaphor, but it's pretty gross. But anyway, so, I mean, that's what he's doing. think of a metaphor, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, whoever wins is going to have to thank him. For his endorsement. Well, it's also, it's it's a cowardly act by Trump, too, because...
2: Yeah. It's he, like when a politician says they're a Yankees and a Mets fan. Sorry, right. Hillary. No, it's uh, exactly
1: right. It's yeah. what he wanted to do was he wanted to endorse Greitens. It's pretty clear. Steve Bannon has endorsed Greitens. Donald Trump Jr. has endorsed Greitens. Rudy Giuliani has endorsed Greitens, right? And, and, you know, also, Greitens is a, a sociopath who treats women horribly. Like, he's after... He's like... He's Trump. And I think that's what he wanted to do. But... The establishment has been just, oh, they've just been unloading both barrels against Greitens lately and super back ads because they don't want him to be the nominee because they're worried that if he is, that he could lose. And so Schmidt has climbed in the polls as a result. Really what's happened is Greitens has fallen in the polls. And so Trump wanted to endorse Greitens, but he looked at it and was like, hmm, it's pretty late in the process. If I endorse him now, he might lose. I'll just endorse both is what he did. That's what he punted.
2: So if you've been listening to this show for a while, you've probably heard us talk about our Helix mattresses, which we're obsessed with. Well, Helix has left the bedroom and they've entered the living room with all form. All the pieces are American made and easy to assemble. They're scratch and stain resistant and they're great for anyone with kids and pets. Jason, you know, I think I saw your dog curled up on your all form sofa. I've got a sofa in my office. I got one in my apartment. I love them. They're easy to put together. You know, they have these different fabrics and colors. You can have them match whatever your sort of existing motif is. Or if you want to mix it up, of course, you could do that. Yeah, everybody
1: loves our all form sofa in this house. We are constantly saying to True that it doesn't actually make any sense to be halfway through your breakfast and then just go lay down on the sofa for a while. But he sometimes says, I'd like to take a break from eating. And he goes right to the all form sofa.
2: Yeah, sometimes you just need a nap at 8.30 in the morning.
1: Yeah, yeah. To find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash majority54. Allform is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners at allform.com slash majority54. Step up your sofa game today. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. You know, I've been doing all these interviews lately about mental health uh, for the book, and one of the most common questions I get is do you think mental health treatment is still stigmatized in America and the answer of course is yes which is one of the reasons why it's so great that our sponsor BetterHelp provides you with an opportunity to get access to therapy in a way that is very private where you don't have to go to a place where you can do it you know from your home in a way that might be much more comfortable for you uh, i think it really is just one more piece in in the puzzle of uh, helping destigmatize the idea of of uh, going to therapy
2: yeah and i think that's the key is having low barrier to entry so you know, that first step, that important step, you got to make that as easy as possible. That's why I love BetterHelp. It's online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat only therapy sessions. And you don't even have to see anyone on camera if you don't want it. And it's much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you could be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours, which is amazing. So our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com M54. That's betterhelp.com M54. Well, let's get on to better news, Jason. And the news of the week, what seems like it could be good news is that Manchin and Schumer reached agreement on a bill called the Inflation Reduction Act. This is the evolving bill that started as bill back better and was a you know dubbed the climate bill a couple months ago. And this is an amazing piece of legislation if we can get this through this uh, would bring the deficit down $300 billion. There's provisions here, both on the spending side and on the revenue raising side that are awesome. So this would have a host of climate provisions and energy provisions that would reduce carbon emissions by 40% by 2030 uh, from 2005 levels. So that's pretty damn near close to Biden's 50% reduction goal. Uh, It also lowers ACA premiums for millions of Americans. On the revenue side, it has a 15% corporate minimum tax it allows medicare to negotiate the price of drugs it has 80 billion to the irs to increase enforcement and it closes the carried interest loophole that private equity uses this is a bunch of stuff in here that is absolutely massive this comes also as uh, congress is uh, you know passing this uh, chips act this china Com- competition act we also had that obviously he passed the infrastructure bill and covid spending he, you know, killed the you know, the leader of Al Qaeda this week. I mean, this could be a turning point in this presidency.
1: It could be. Uh, it's certainly a huge deal. What I want to know is like, why? What is it that put Manchin over the top? What is it that made him go like, yeah, this one's good. Is it something in the bill or is it he's just tired of being, you know, the scapegoat for nothing getting done?
2: Well, you know, there's a cynical and an idealistic part here. The The idealistic part of me wants to believe that he wanted to get there. He's still a Democrat. But if you're being more cynical, there are a few things in here that Democrats had to trade in order to get this done. Uh, one is a mandate for new oil and gas leasing in the Gulf of Mexico and off the coast of Alaska. Another is a rule that if we open up federal land and the seafloor to renewables like, you know, making solar and wind farms that you must also do for fossil fuel exploration, gas exploration. There's also a provision in here to fund a relief fund for people who had black lung disease, uh, which I think I would imagine affects people in West Virginia a lot. And then there was another provision that says that the federal government was required to establish 25 priority projects on federal lands that must include fossil fuels and other forms of energy, like nuclear, for example. So this bill actually, it does some things for traditional fossil fuels, but even pretty left-leaning people like Ro Khanna came out and said, look, the climate provisions here are well worth that trade-off. And I tend to agree with them. This is pretty amazing stuff. So you have incentives for private industry to produce more renewable energy and for households to transform themselves and to buy electric vehicles. So buyers of new electric vehicles will get a $7,500 tax credit. To buy electric vehicles, there's a smaller tax credit for used cars. They replace this really clunky system that used to incentivize investment in renewable energies now with a much more streamlined system. Even like pretty conservative people, so like the economists at the University of Chicago and this group called the Rhodium Group, which is an energy trade group, estimate that this bill will create $1.5 trillion in economic surplus while eliminating 5 billion tons of carbon pollution. And they they say this is like a cost-benefit re- ratio of three to one, which is very jargony. Essentially, it's double the cost-benefit ratios of most things they ever see in legislation. So they're they're like, yeah, this is good legislation.
1: So this is a good news of the week.
2: Even the, the, the revenue raising portions of this are really awesome. So this establishes a 15% minimum tax on corporations. And you might say, well, 15% isn't a lot, but a lot of corporations pay no taxes, even though the effective tax rate is supposed to be 21% on corporations. This is saying you can't use all these gimmicks to try to, to get out of that. You must pay at least 15%. So some corporations like Nike Pay no taxes in many years. Now they're going to be forced to pay this fifteen percent. That's great. The IRS stuff, which I talked about, is going to be huge. That should raise a ton of revenue. And and there's tons of evidence. People like Larry Summers estimate that the top one percent of earners account for seventy percent of the underreported tax revenue in this country. So that would go for that would you know this is a pretty progressive piece here. Never mind you know negotiating prescription drugs. This has been something we've been talking about for decades now. You know, allowing our country to negotiate prescription drugs lowers the cost uh, for seniors for everybody. There's another cap in there. Kirsten Cinema is the obstacle right now, so we're moving from the mansion show to the cinema show. A lot of people think she may demand that they take out this this um, carried interest loophole, which, to be clear, is not a big piece of this whole legislation. I would love to see it stay in there, but if that's the price to get this thing passed, I'm I'll, I'll go for it. You know, and it reduces the deficit, which you know, Democrats are better. This is evidence like again that democrats are better at reducing the deficits than republicans.
1: Yeah, cuz you have to actually raise revenue to do it. Right.
2: And so I'm I'm for this. Like this is great. It's great legislation. I'm hoping it gets through and I hope this is the shot in the arm. I was seeing some data recently. Democrats have a greater than 50% chance of holding the Senate right now. I think it's 56% 538 right now. Uh you know, over 50% of voters say abortion is a major issue. Uh, at the polls, we've got really good candidates. I'm heading down in a couple of weeks to to check out the the Pennsylvania dynamic uh, out in Lehigh County to see it for myself. I think that this this whole uh, midterm could turn out slightly better for Democrats, if not significantly better than the doomsayers say. The House once again is going to be tough, but governors races, Senate races, I think we've got an we've got a, a decent chance of outperforming expectations, and I think this bill will will be part of a positive narrative.
1: this potential huge victory uh, for working people and the 99% of Americans who aren't in the 1% happen to piss off anybody and cause <laughs> them to take it out on somebody else who's not deserving well, of such wrath?
2: Yeah, this is one that I'm going to need you to help me on, because I know you you did something for the, the guys over at Midas on this, uh, and John Stewart also put out a video on this, and he's been pushing. There's this bill called the PACT Act, which is geared at expanding healthcare benefits to veterans. Who are exposed to toxic burn pits while overseas, and it seems like a pretty straightforward piece of legislation. It seemed like there was bipartisan support for it, and then, correct me if I'm wrong, the Senate Republicans pulled their support for this because of. The uh, the bill I just mentioned because Democrats are moving ahead on that bill for reconciliation.
1: That's not what they say, but that's what happened. First, let's back up because probably a lot of people don't know what a burn pit is. Everybody's been hearing about this. A burn pit is as simple as you're. You got like a forward operating base. You have a temporary area where you're out temporary. It could be years, but like you don't have like sanitation service. You know, you're out there. You're you're you've got your base set up. And what they did, and these are illegal in the United States, although you know the VA, the federal government has never like officially said these cause cancer, like they haven't officially ever done it, but it's not legal to do in the United States because it's not legal to put these kind of toxins in the air. A burn pit is just like, oh, we got extra batteries, we got extra trash, we got extra food, we got extra whatever, human excrement, doesn't matter what it is, throw it on the pile. We'll we'll just burn it because where else are we gonna put it? We we gotta live in this space. We can't leave this space. People might shoot at us if we're you know, we can't it's not like you can just sleep outside the wire. So burn it. That's what a burn pit is. And when you burn that stuff and you put it in the air, it gets into people's, you know, lungs, it gets into their body and it causes damage. Sometimes it causes just sinus issues for the rest of their life, sometimes it causes cancer. And the problem is, is that because it's never been stated by the federal government, this absolutely causes cancer, 80% of the claims made for this at the VA have been denied because they just don't have grounds to uh, grant them. And because a lot of people don't have like the just perfect paperwork trail medically to demonstrate it. Oh, and also because like there's not the funds to award to actually treat this stuff. Um, and so what this does is it says, hey, we're going to put a lot of money into this fund and we're going to say that this qualifies and we're going to grant people's claims for it. And also, it says, we are going to uh, use some of these funds to study this and to make sure that you know we're like doing the full due diligence on it that should be done for people who were exposed to this. Pretty simple. That's why so many Republicans voted for it. You know, Not all of them, but I think all the Democrats and, and the majority of the Republicans voted for it the first time around, and then the exact same bill when it comes time to actually finish the thing, it's right after this. It's why there's the video going around of Ted Cruz uh, fist bumping Danes, I think from Montana, because they had they had, uh, shut this down. They hadn't allowed it to go forward. Very proud of themselves for stopping it. I guess because it's inside the building thinking of like, well, they just you know screwed us on this compromise and reconciliation. We're going to show them one of their priorities because they don't really care that uh, it's veterans, or I think made a huge political error. Uh, And anybody who's listening to this, if you have not watched the entire 10 minute press conference opening, like the comments by Jon Stewart, go back and watch it. Like Whether you're interested in this issue or not, go back and watch it. It is a masterclass in activism. It's just, that's how you do activism.
2: It looks like as of this recording. The pressure worked and it looks like the republicans are backing down that that's at least what the the, the mm-hmm. speculation seems to be after so, that's not trying to airs.
1: mischaracterize it they tried to yeah. turn it into oh this was a pork barrel you know slush fund and, and it's just not true it's the exact same bill that they already voted for once and you know john stewart said something on zero block 30 the other day that really hit home with me which is he said Be very careful when they call you a hero because it means they're okay with you dying. Mm. And it just really goes at, and this is what I did the video for Midas about, which is that a lot of Americans don't know that uh, it's not just a matter of like Republicans turning their backs on veterans. It's a matter of the entire federal government asks completely the wrong question when it comes to veterans issues. And the question that the entire structure uh, is built around is what do we do to make sure people who don't deserve it, don't get these benefits. And the problem with that is it begins with the premise that there are veterans who don't deserve it, and there just aren't. And a lot of the people that most Americans assume can go to the VA can't. And you know, people can go and watch that video for the examples I give, but it's right at the heart of this is that they are always willing to have us show up at their rallies and put us on their websites. But the truth is they don't know much about veterans benefits and they're usually not very interested in finding out. And that's particularly true of these Republicans. When you know more, you can do more. What if you could use science to discover more about your body? Find out what you need for your healthier tomorrow with EverlyWell. EverlyWell is digital healthcare that's designed for you, and it's all at an affordable and transparent price. With over 30 at-home lab tests, you'll be able to choose the test that makes the most sense for you to get the answers that you need, like the women's health test or the food sensitivity test.
2: Yeah, and here's how this thing works. They ship products straight to you with everything you need in one package. And to take your at-home lab tests, you simply collect your sample and use the included prepaid shipping label to mail your test back to a certified lab. And your physician-reviewed results get sent to your phone or any other device in just days. And you could share the results with your primary care physician to help guide your next steps. Anybody who's listening to this podcast knows I'm obsessed with this kind of stuff. EverlyWell is the best I've ever seen at this, and for listeners of the show, EverlyWell is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash majority54. That's everlywell.com slash majority54 for 20% off your next at-home lab test, everlywell.com slash majority54.
1: AG1 is how I start my day every day. It has usually been how Diana starts her day every day, but she has started this new practice where uh, instead of taking it in the morning, she started drinking it right after lunch. It's because uh, what she's usually done is right after lunch, she gets a little tired and then she'll drink some coffee. She realized that if she waits and because she usually has coffee in the morning, so she has her coffee in the morning, but instead of then having her athletic greens or having them right before, she waits and she has athletic greens right after lunch. She doesn't need the second cup of coffee. So it's been really good in helping her cut down on caffeine.
2: That's a good idea. And with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens to help start your day right. It's a micro habit with big benefits, something you can do every day to take care of yourself. So... Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash majority. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash majority to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Uh, Well, we got one more quick story here, Jason. It's a pretty depressing one. You know, this is ostensibly a sports story, but it's really about much more than that. It's about sexual assault and it's about labor. Uh, Deshaun Watson, who is the now quarterback of the Cleveland Browns, formerly of the Houston Texans, had been accused by at least 24 women or 30, depending on how you count, of some form of either coercive or lewd behavior or sexual assault, depending on the case, uh, and this is going back for a couple of years, and he had been subject to a an NFL investigation and a uh, a hearing. Due to like the collective bargaining agreement between players and the NFL, the NFL was seeking an indefinite suspension. Uh, The Browns were defending him as were the NFL Players Association trying to get a much lower sentence. They're fighting it. And uh, that, you know, there was a former federal judge. She came out with her decision this week saying that he would get a six game suspension. Uh, And I think this led to a lot of outrage from around the NFL uh, and from around uh, the country from people We were just appalled by this because, you know, people like Calvin Ridley, who is a wide receiver for the Falcons, for example, got an entire year suspension for betting fifteen hundred dollars on a game in which he didn't even play. And here's a guy who on um, his team to win. Yeah.
1: Not not like against his team.
2: Right. Uh, And so there's a lot of people saying this is insane and that this is a, you know, a black mark on, you know, a, a game that we love in NFL. What was your impression of all of this?
1: Well, a couple of things. One, I think it's important to acknowledge that the Players Association, look, they're a union, and part of the deal with the union is you're supposed to advocate for your members, right? So, like, I, I'm not going to give them too hard of a time because that's kind of their job, right? Now, like, I would prefer that they would kick Deshaun Watson to the curb. But when you do that, you then you put yourself in the position of like, where are you going to draw the line? Like, you know, you represent all your members, right?
2: So it's irritating. The most egregious example of this I found was they defended Aaron Hernandez, who murdered multiple people. Which obviously, long-term listeners know, I have some feelings about labor that might deviate from some Democrats, but uh, this is one sort of those moments where I, it really comes. But up I mean, for I'll, me. I'll just say, but like yeah. you know,
1: if you're going to have a yeah. standard, you have a standard. Like I appreciate that, but right. who I don't think should get any kind of pass is the Cleveland Browns because what right. the Cleveland Browns did here is even more disgusting and cynical. Because what the Cleveland Browns did is. They picked up Deshaun Watson and they structured his contract in such a way that he's supposed to get $1 million in the first year and like $1 gazillion dollars in the second year. And the reason yeah. they did that is because they knew, they actually thought he was going to get suspended for the entire first season. So they just made it where he would literally lose $1 million and then still have this you know, pot of gold waiting for him. And what, did, what ended
2: up happening is
1: he's not going to lose like any money. Right? right he's gonna miss three hundred and
2: fifty thousand dollars in like a two hundred million dollar contract. yeah, and I think the language in the contract was even worse because I tweeted out what you said yesterday. I, I somebody corrected me today saying it's almost irrelevant what I tweeted about the structure of the contract because the language of the contract says, even if suspended, they have to give him the money. yeah, so I don't even understand how these contracts work, but like, man. That's crazy. And there was a there was a uh, a press conference when they rolled out to Sean Watson. The owner of the Cleveland Browns was asked about the allegations. I mean, he sounded insane. Like he he couldn't say one way or the other. Wouldn't say whether he thought the allegations were true or not. We're talking about at least twenty four women. And then you have uh, Watson himself, who was asked by reporters like, "Hey, New York Times says you had sixty six separate female masseuses that you reached out to in large part on places like Instagram." why did you need 66 masseuses, which by the way, is the allegation that he was, he was engaging in this, 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 he was engaging in this behavior, the assault, the behavior, et cetera, with his masseuses. And they're like, why as an athlete, do you need 66 separate masseuses in like a two year period? And he had no answer for that, nor did he apologize for his behavior, nor did he say he was going to be seeking counseling or anything like that.
1: So this is one of those things that's uh, political, but It doesn't look political. Like it's good. It clearly is, I think. And it's just no consequences when it's not when sports are involved, it's when money is involved. The gross inequality of it is how many players got a bunch of time that they weren't allowed to play because they smoked marijuana. Like tons, which by the way is like legal in most places now. And also, if you have a job where you are, Like multiple times, every time you go to work, you're in the equivalent of a car accident. Jeez, I I think like marijuana (laughs) is probably something you're going to take advantage of. And then who can blame you?
2: The one thing the Players Association said that I did sympathize with, although I didn't sympathize with their overall effort in defending Watson, was that there's a double standard for owners. Because you have Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, who who went to a illegal brothel and nothing really happened to him. You have Steven Ross, who got a, basically a slap on the wrist today for trying to bribe his own coach to lose games. You know, somehow he can do that and still be an owner, but Calvin Ridley can't play football for a whole year for betting when he's not even playing for his team, by the way, which is the opposite of what Steven Ross did. Never mind Schneider, the Washington football team, what do we call them? Commanders, the yeah. Commanders, who basically created a hostile, sexist, racist workplace uh, and had to be trotted in front of Congress for it. He's still the owner of that football team, so the players' association doesn't have. They do have a point that there is a double standard for these owners, uh, but that shouldn't get Watson off. But that point definitely sticks with me, though. All
1: right, we're excited to bring you our conversation with Wes Moore. Wes Moore is a combat veteran, best-selling author, small business owner, Rhodes Scholar, and former CEO of one of the nation's largest anti-poverty organizations, the Robin Hood Foundation. He's a first-time candidate and emerged victorious from his nine-way Democratic primary and is now the Democratic candidate for Maryland governor. If he wins, he'll be the first black governor in the state. Uh, He's also a good friend of mine, and I'm very excited about the possibility of him becoming the governor. Wes, thanks for joining us. Jason, it's it's my pleasure, man. And listen, congrats. Uh, look at him he brought the book oh my god <laughs> no i didn't i didn't bring Amazing. the book This
0: book is on my bookshelf i love this book man congrats seriously
1: <laughs> well you well are done. you are the the top blurb on the back of the book so thank you <laughs> I, I i appreciate this well wes i had you here to talk about invisible storm and uh, no uh, anyway thanks man i i uh, i appreciate it very much and well I appreciate you speaking of books we were I, we were actually going to start by talking a little bit about yours, because as you know, I love your book, Andrew, The Other Wes Moore. Uh, it, it's your own story. It's also the story of another Baltimore-based man named Wes Moore, who grew up uh, in the same place you grew up with the same name, uh, but had a different situation, had, had things go differently in his life and ended up in prison. And you talk about how your situations could easily have been reversed in the book, that's the subject of the book. Uh, how do the lessons that you learned from writing that book inform your approach to politics now that you're the democratic nominee which is very cool for <laughs> governor of maryland
0: yeah no and, and thank you and seriously it's great to be with you and and you know it's it's interesting because i think so much of what i wrote inside of the book uh it, it really does people can get a sense about how i think about the world by understanding these lives and you know and you know in, in my case where you know i was born born down in born down in tacoma park uh, but it was it was tragedy that forced me to move around uh, when I was younger, where I was almost four years old when my father died in front of me and because he didn't get the health care that he needed. And so my mom, uh, you know, at that point, she was scrambling. Unexpectedly, she now became a widow with three kids that she was going to raise on her own. She was you know, an, an immigrant from Jamaica. Uh, and so she had us to go live with my grandparents. And, and you just saw how there wasn't that level of there was nothing about stability that really underscored my childhood. And you see the same thing with Wes, where this is a guy who moved around a lot when he was younger, from Baltimore City, Baltimore County, and because uncertainty and and instability were constants that you saw within these lives. And so when I first learned about Wes, the more I learned how much more we had in common than just our name. And so the thing that I, I really took from that experience, that story, learning about Wes, uh, writing this story and how it can kind of dovetails into, into this political race is just how thin that line is between our life and someone else's life. And and as a society, we are just far too quick oftentimes to either congratulate or or castigate without being willing to actually examine the process that people actually went through.
2: Yeah, and and Wes, I used to be a school principal. We used to have our kids read that book. Thank you. Uh, I imagine that you know I'll ask you a question I asked jason when when he just got back from the the first two weeks of his tour, his book tour. Was there a moment when you're out there talking about your book where a kid went up to you and said something really surprising and memorable to you?
0: Literally, some of the best conversations I had were with students and I, I remember there was um there was a student who God, this must have been this must have been six, seven, eight, maybe eight years ago. And he was kind of, you can tell he was just shy and tepid as he came up. You almost could tell that the question that he was asking was because it was a personal question, like it was his question, but he didn't want to make it seem like it was his question. And he got up and he was just like, are some decisions more important than others? I mean, it was the most simple question, but but you could tell he was asking for a reason, and I remember thinking about, thinking about it and, and pausing and, and looking at them. And I thought so. And I, my answer was, I think the answer is yes. The problem is, in the moment, you don't know which ones are which. You don't know which important. Like, is that decision going to be one that is going to help shape the rest of my life? Or is that decision that five minutes later is going to be an irrelevant decision? And and the thing is, we will go into decisions sometimes like thinking like this is a really important decision and it has zero relevance on the rest of your life. And there's sometimes you just think a random decision to go here instead of going there. To go down this street instead of going down that
1: street. Well, it is funny. Like, I remember really at one point thinking that whether I got into Georgetown Law School was going to make or break <laughs> my life. And it, like, helped me get my first job, which I didn't enjoy and didn't do for very long. And then it's never been relevant since. That's right. So that's ex- boy, that's exactly I sweated right. it for like a year. You know? <laughs> so that's completely right. All right. Uh political question uh that's not a policy question but just like tell us about the the this race tell us about the politics going on there because you know I've been saying to people I said it you know last week on Twitter I've been saying it to whoever asked because people always ask me they say well who's out there who you're excited about and I always talk about you uh and now you know that's why we're having you on the show cuz I want to introduce you to everybody but like we should start with like what's going on in the race for governor of Maryland like we're we're running against a Trump guy is he, you know, what's the deal? Yeah. Tell everybody about the race.
0: Yeah. So I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm incredibly excited. here. So, yeah, as I am now uh, a, a week minted uh, as, the, <laughs> as the as the Democratic nominee uh, to become Maryland's uh, Maryland's next governor. And it was a it was a, a deep and a crowded uh, and a competitive field. And now waiting for us is the Republican nominee who is literally a a, a Trump accolade and, and proudly. Where I mean, this is a person who very, very openly pledges allegiance to to Donald Trump. You know, this is a person who literally on January 6th didn't just help to bring uh to bring uh, you know buses of people or bands of people down. He was down there himself. Uh he's a very proud insurrectionist who called who called uh, uh Vice President Pence a traitor for actually validating the election. This is a, a person who has tried to compare mental health
1: care to uh, uh for children to the Holocaust. I mean, he is literally- I mean, look, in his defense, no, just There's no like, there is no way to finish that sentence. <laughs> There's no way to
0: finish the sentence,
1: right? But I mean,
0: so he's on such the extreme fringe of, of politics that oftentimes people will say, well, you know, uh, you know, well, this is an easy, this is a cakewalk. But here's the thing I ask people to remember. He's the Republican nominee. He won. Yeah. He won his nomination. I am- taking this so deadly seriously. This is a very clear choice that people in the state of Maryland have. And it really is. It's a choice between unity and division. It's a choice between a future that is that is truly built on on hope and optimism and real concrete policies as to what we can do to move forward as a state versus this cynical policy and cynical politics of conspiracy theories. And so that's that's very much where Maryland uh, where Maryland uh, you know stands right now. But I tell you, uh, I'm proud of of the path that we we went through to win the primary. Uh, And I'm excited about what we're going to get done going into November.
2: For those of us who haven't spent a ton of time in Maryland, we think of Maryland as a blue state. But it's had this Republican governor, which I know is is it happens, you know, it happened in Massachusetts with Baker Uh, Explain the politics of Maryland as you see it. I I know just from the congressional districts that Maryland, one, is a a fairly red district or or it was. I don't know what happened with the redistricting. What's the politics of Maryland like? And is is the sort of the former governor an anomaly or a representation of something real?
1: Because y'all haven't had a Democratic governor since 2010, right? I mean, we're 12 years now. Yeah, no, in in the past 20 years, we've had a Republican
0: governor for 12 of them and uh and and when and when you think about what it is because maryland uh in terms of registered voters right re- registered voters in maryland it is a, about a two to one democratic split right and so that's why people say well maryland is one of those democratic states inside of the country so statistically uh you know that 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 is true and yes not since 2014 uh with governor omalley that we've had a, a democratic a democratic governor but the thing that we also know in that is that the messaging around what we're pulling together? We're focusing on the fact that far too many, that far too many Marylanders don't see a pathway for them or their families to have a real measurement of economic security. We're focusing on things like public safety and ensuring that people can feel safe and should feel safe in their own communities, in their own homes, and in their own skin. People are looking and they're saying, you guys are campaigning in a lot of areas that there's not a lot of Democrats. And my answer is yeah, but there's a lot of Marylanders. And and I plan on being their governor, too. These are issues that really go back to my background, which is, you know, issues that you learn from people on the ground. I have worked in not just not just, you know, in communities, but with communities for my entire career. And that's just the way we try to frame out our campaign in this
1: governor's race. So you're a first time candidate, yeah. which, you know, pretty good job. Like you, you <laughs> won a nine way primary for governor as a first time candidate. What is the part that has surprised you because you've enjoyed it and don't say like you know being with the people you know what I right right, like 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 what has been the the minutiae that you've been surprised that you've enjoyed and what has been the part that you've either been surprised or just been like yeah i could do without this part of just running for office
0: the part that is the hard and the frustrating and and this is probably not a new concept new idea it it is the fundraising right sure it's just uh it's there's a constant drumbeat, particularly as a first time candidate. Pretty much everybody else in the race, they had a built in infrastructure. That meant we had to outwork everybody. And it meant we had to outraise everybody, right? In order to really make sure you're getting your message out. One of the most exhilarating things for me about it, it's how incredibly frenetic and beautiful the day is. You can never be bored by your day because you are going to spend your morning out having a, a breakfast meeting and walk around with a community organization that's focusing on violence prevention in one part of it in, in one part of the state and then you're going to head out and you're going to go have a meeting with crab pickers over in the eastern shore and then you're going to what is up.
2: it what
1: is a crab picker
2: <laughs> oh we got to get you down here I feel like I, Wes. I feel like I should intervene in this conversation because we're gonna get Jason. Uh, he's he's getting his FOMO from his time running for office. No, no, no. I like I, I'm bad. not. I'm actually this is like, bad for no, him I'm actually like this. Oh bad God, for him This hear. all
1: sounds terrible, both the good and the bad.
2: But I do not. But I don't. I don't
1: believe it. But you I do like all. crab. I don't and uh, and yeah. and we're going to reach out.
0: We have the best crabs in the country, bar none, and I will put that against anybody else. It's, a, it's fun because you can sit there with friends and, you know, you're 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 out there with your your uh, your newspaper covered tables and you got a beer and like it's a it's a it's you a you it get that weird pasta.
1: mallet, that mallet you thing. Can, yes, even, yeah. though, even oh, see, though is that an amateur thing, the mallet? <laughs> I'm going to say you can use a mallet. But Perfect. Marylanders also
0: know exactly the That'd places to pull on the crab that oh, you can my bad. The and that would that be that
2: it. Jason, that would be like when de Blasio ate pizza. <laughs> yeah, don't pork. use the mallet, Wes. Uh, <laughs> Wes, <laughs> do not That's use like, the mallet. Now that I know we, we need you <laughs> to win. Uh, slightly more substantive question. You were in charge of Robin Hood. I love Robin Hood. I'm a lifelong New Yorker. What did you learn there about how to fight Ooh. poverty? That you think you can bring to government, like what are what are some of the programs or just ways of going about fighting poverty that are beyond the hey let's fund yeah. stuff, which I think we all generally think there could be more of. Is there anything where you're like oh wow this is this is something we need to learn mm. from in Maryland?
0: I I, uh, I I love the work that we did there because it, it was it was literally the idea of just like it's find it, fund it, and scale it, right? Just find what works, put capital behind it. And scale its impact. So, so the, the model was 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 simple in theory. And then we just really kind of took it to the next level in terms of really trying to use data to be able to identify what's working. So I love the fact that we were finding and funding and scaling some of the most important and powerful innovations that we've seen. And those are all ideas that we plan on taking to Annapolis. The only thing about it though, and the thing that I, I think really gave a, a real sense of motivation behind this, this run. Was that if we aren't fixing the systems that's actually continuing to allow people to fall between the cracks, then we'll just repeatedly find ourselves cleaning up the debris that comes from broken systems. If you look at every single organization i we funding, I mean, we we worked and funded over 1600 organizations. Right. I mean, one of the largest, most complex organizations of its kind in this country. But here's the thing I knew about every single one of the organizations that we funded. There was a reason they existed. The 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 housing organizations that we funded, they existed because we had so many people who were housing insecure. The education organizations that we funded, they existed because we had kids who were not getting a quality education. I I see part of the thing that we want to introduce is a new type of partnership between government, nonprofits, the private sector, community organizations, the people. Right? How do we come up with a new framework of how we can all work together? Because our job is not to, you know, not just to make the nonprofit organizations, it's not to make them bigger. It's to make the
1: problems smaller. In that vein, we have time for for this one last question. I'm gonna have a little bit of a preface to it, which is to say, when people ask me, okay, who who out there do we not know about, you know, in the Democratic Party that we should be watching, I take them to usually mean like, you know people who are not running for president in 2024, and so I usually there's usually three names that I bring up. It, it's usually you, Stacey Abrams, and Ruben Gallego. Wow. You know, you and Stacey are are the ones who who might be about to be governors, and. In particular with Maryland, you would be in a position that even Stacey wouldn't be in, which is you would be in a position as a, as a democratic governor with a real opportunity to really do things that it won't be like, okay, I've got to come up with a a purely negotiated thing with my Republican legislature. Like you might be in a real position to lead and to come up with some really big ideas that the rest of the country could look to. And so it's a unique opportunity. And so I'm just curious of all the stuff that you've, I'm sure, been excited thinking about about programs just in that vein. You were just talking about, like, what is the thing that once you become governor, and we'll just say when. I know you got like this race in front of you, but when you become a governor, yeah. that people watching Maryland should watch to say, okay, Wes. And, you know, his party, uh, you know, rather Maryland is going to do this. That might be a model for the rest of the country. What are you most excited about in that vein? Mm,
0: I tell you one initiative that I'm incredibly excited about that we are going to get done in this first legislative session. Maryland will be the first state in the country that is going to have a service year option for every single high school graduate.
1: This is what I was hoping you were going to say because no. I've heard you talk about it before. Go ahead. Yeah, we are. We are. This, we are. We as a state are going to have the option
0: for every high school graduate, and they can choose. It can be in housing. It can be in education. It can be in healthcare. It can be in the environment. It could be helping to raise sea levels to uh, to sea walls to address rising sea levels or extreme heat. Helping to tra- uh, plant tree canopies. There's so many things that as a society we need, and we are going to get these high school graduates. In place in order to choose their passion point and to be able to do it, and 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 I think there's three big reasons that we're going to do this. And the first is it's going to help address the college affordability crisis. The second reason, it's I'm a big believer in experiential learning, right? I'm a big believer that give young people a chance to experience what it is that they want to do, and then that will help them to frame out their next steps. And and, and it go and the third reason, and you touch on this all the time, Jason, and I love that you do this level of divisiveness and political vitriol that we have is so dangerous. I mean, it's gonna cause, it's it's causing an implosion that in frankly is more dangerous than any explosion that we are going to see or feel. And, and I believe deeply that service is sticky. Those who serve together will generally stay together and service will help to save us. And I, I saw it just this past week when we we're down on Capitol Hill uh, with a series of veterans. Uh, advocating for the passage of the PACT Act. And if you look at the state of Maryland, the state of Maryland has over 6,000 veterans alone who are on the burn pit registry. So it was very personal for a collection of reasons that they got this passed. And I'm And I'm thankful that the Senate actually got this done. But when you looked at the veterans who were down there advocating and protesting, it was Republicans, Democrats, independents, it didn't matter. What did matter was this, that there were brothers and sisters in arms who were dying and they need, and they deserve support. And so you watched how our community rallied in a really beautiful way. And so I believe deeply that we have to infuse this sense and this feeling of service in our society because that is going to be one of the things that will help to save us. And Maryland is going to be the national example.
1: Thanks, man. I'm excited for that. Thank uh, you. Me, me I'm excited to for Maryland this. you. Look at him holding up the book. What a guy! <laughs> All right, uh, that's awesome.
2: I'm sure, like the week of the the book came out was also the week. Of Leading up to your primary, I'm sure you were reading that book. Like just well, as he you were, still tweeted about like, it, hey, it for me. No, exactly. hey, hey, hey. And, and I'm
1: and
0: I'm yeah, and I'm, yeah. I'm serious. The, this book, and I'm not just saying this because you're because I'm I'm looking right at you, Jason. Uh, <laughs> this this book is special, and 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 I really ask the people for anyone who has a vet in your life or who's trying to understand the experience of veterans, uh, please check this book out.
1: Westman you are welcome to come back and talk about my book anytime you're so good at it and I really appreciate it and uh, we're excited for you um, let people know where they can find you on social media real quick
0: absolutely they can go to I am Westmore on any of the social channels Facebook uh, uh, Instagram Twitter or the website is just westmore.com and uh, and we would really love your support going into November and beyond it's gonna this is a special time uh, and I'm grateful for each and every one of you
1: Thanks to Wes for that conversation, For those listening, as you notice, we recorded the interview with Wes after we recorded the original part of the show, and that's why you get to hear him update you and say that good things happened with the PACT Act. So I think we could put a button on this by just reminding everybody that nothing changed in the bill. The Republicans just decided, actually, it's all fine. We'll just vote for it. We'd like to forget this ever happened. Uh, So when people talk to you about that issue or when you bring it up, just mention to them that, uh, yeah, clearly they were lying because nothing changed and they just all reversed their votes because people got mad at them. All right. You can reach out to us at 508-687-2589, 508-687-2589. You can email us at m54 at network.com. I'm at Jason Cander on Instagram and Twitter. Ravi is at Ravi M. Gupta on Twitter and Instagram. Wes is I am Wes Moore on, it sounds like everything, but TikTok. Our show is Majority54 on Twitter. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today.
2: Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch, Edie Allard, and Adaiso agvin Theme music provided by Kemet Coleman, and special thanks to Diana Kander. Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varva Lucas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard Professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on what could go right, available wherever you get your podcasts.